To be blessed is to be worthy of the realm. I cannot say that sentence emphatically enough. To be blessed is to be worthy of the realm. At least this was true in the first century. And guess who did the blessing? Caesar. And this is something we absolutely have to get as we study and learn and appreciate the opening to this Sermon on the Mount. We'll be in this sermon series for a while till Thanksgiving, so we need to know something to get on the same page about a few things, to learn and appreciate and share a vocabulary about the Sermon on the Mount. And these nine Beatitudes, first off, are beyond compare. I would argue they are the foundation to all of Jesus' teachings and perhaps the most theologically rich statements that he makes. I would say it's his magnum opus. Now I can't know this for sure, but all the other times when the Gospels make statements like, and Jesus was teaching them, or it says, and he went around teaching and healing, I believe this is what he was teaching. Luke has an almost identical sermon that we call the Sermon on the Plains. He's on the Mount in Matthew, he's in the Plains in Luke. And because Luke records this, I mean, it does stand to reason that this is Jesus' signature teaching. And he's going from place to place teaching this. It's his stump speech. Now, I hate to use such a cavalier phrase, something with such political connotation to it, but that's kind of what this is. The Sermon on the Mount, it challenges all kinds of social and political norms, and it challenges the very relevance of power that Caesar has and his kingdom on earth. And Jesus manages to do something so grand, peaceably, but with a swift ridicule also to love. It really is one of the most remarkable teachings in all of the Bible, if not the most. So it deserves our time to spend the next several months diving into these opening lines to this incredible work. And we're studying it because buried in these pithy yet profound statements, I think is the key for how we could live life better. So, let's share in the same context. Jesus is living during a terribly oppressive time for people outside of political power. Rome's in charge. You bow to the boot of everything that is Rome. Your access to money is funneled through Rome. Your health care funneled through Rome. Your worship and public services and entertainment, it all gets funneled through Rome. And on top of that, Rome has decided to make friends with only a certain amount of Jewish leaders. The religious powers are affiliated with Rome. So if it's not Caesar bearing down his hate, it's the priests that are supposed to be with you. The priests control your blessedness to God. Caesar controls your blessedness in the world. And every day, together, the religious and political structures micromanage us into the corner of more self-hate and hopelessness. And it happens to everyone 
outside of political power. Caesar is responsible for bestowing decision-making powers on whom he deems worthy of the realm. And those who aren't worthy are peons, collateral damage, slaves to the greater good. It is in this context that Jesus speaks, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What an opening line. In Matthew's gospel, the thing that Jesus seems to be most concerned about is introducing, inaugurating a new realm of God or the kingdom of heaven. Each of the four gospels seem to have a different focus, and this one is Matthew's. He is very concerned that Jesus ushers in a new kingdom on top of Caesar's. So much so, Matthew spends a great deal of time, a lot of the gospel real estate is given to identifying two realms. The first one is here on earth. It's dark and it's sinful, but it's also lush and fabulous for those who are worthy enough to experience it. But the second realm, it's not fully here yet, but it's coming. It's coming to earth as it is in heaven. And it's also lush and fabulous for those worthy enough to experience it. The first realm is inaugurated by Caesar. Jesus inaugurates the other. And so that's why I say it's political, because it kinda is. In the first century, there was only supposed to be one kingdom, Caesar's. There's only supposed to be one Lord, Caesar. There's only supposed to be one who bestows blessings, Caesar. And now Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a new kingdom. For Jesus to say these words, he is pushing against decades of hate, decades of self-doubt, and there is so much in this opening line that we need to heed this morning. For instance, we need to know that Jesus is using a code word, blessed. The religious leaders are blessed by Rome. Centurions are blessed to have their post, their chosen. Caesar blesses and bestows decision-making powers to whom he deems is worthy of the realm. So here is Jesus using the same political language that Caesar offers. But Caesar blesses in order to vilify or to overlook the lives of so many. But Jesus uses it to welcome and to love, especially those on the margins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking to the rejected and the broken, the unworthy and the unnamed. And he's saying, blessed are you, poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are dejected and alone. Blessed are you. You have a place in God's realm. I can't love this more. I mean, think about the single mother with kids who's been rejected by society. She's sitting on the grass 
listening to Jesus wax poetic and she's rocking her twin girls, feeling the weight of a future that's going to be hard for them. Think about what she hears from Jesus. Blessed are you, single mom, who's poor in spirit, who's been broken by society and culture and religion and politics. Blessed are you, for you might not have a name that matters on this earthly realm, but you do to God. The kingdom of heaven is for you. Or think about the senior adult male who is sitting on the countryside listening to Jesus wax poetic and his memories are flooded with regret, sorrow, and despair. He's been imprisoned in this culture his whole life. He has no money, no prestige, and no power to pass on to no other generation. He's been at the bottom of the social ladder his entire life. Think about what he hears from Jesus. Blessed are you, sir, who's poor in spirit, who's been broken by society and culture and religion and politics. Blessed are you, for you may not have a name that matters in this earthly realm, but you do in God's. The kingdom of heaven is for you. Think about what Jesus is saying and doing here and what this might mean for us today. The kingdom of heaven is for the have-nots. It's not that the rich can't enter, but the kingdom is identifiably for the misfits on the margins, for the poor in spirit. It always has been, even if we forgot it. Which brings up really the final point that we need to share in order to learn from these Beatitudes together. These Beatitudes are not imperative statements. Now you'll need to go into your middle school English literature word bank to pull that word out. But these are not imperative statements. Jesus isn't reminding us that we need to become more mournful or more meek or more poor in spirit. That's just not the goal of this passage. The Beatitudes are declarative statements saying that if you already feel worthless, if you're already thirsting for righteousness, if you feel persecuted now, if you're poor in spirit now, rest assured, you have a place with God. Jesus is definitively saying this to the crowd, and Scripture still says it to you and me. Jesus is looking out across humanity and declaring that you who carry pain, you who feel broken, you who think you don't matter, you do. You have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Now you may have drugged yourself here this morning not feeling like you do. That's the first realm telling you that you don't matter. It is dark, it is corrupt, and you may not have the ability to change it in your lifetime. And if this is you, you need to hear this blessing from Jesus in Matthew 5. Because Jesus is saying to you, you really aren't that small in God's kingdom. You aren't too broken for a future. And when it comes to God's kingdom, you will be blessed. When it comes to God's new realm, you'll have enough. When it comes to God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, 
you will be welcomed just as you are. So you can bring your tired bodies and your wounded spirits and your broken shame because before God, it is enough. It is in these simple and profound lines of the beatitude that make me see clearly what our role as a church ought to be. We are to invite the world into this second realm. We should not waste our resources building up the first realm. It's passing away. Thy kingdom is still to come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in these simple and profound lines that make me see clearly what faith ought to look like for us individually. Faith is believing even though we might not be blessed by Caesar, we are by God. So we can all live out our days in the first realm with an awe and wonder knowing the second realm is coming. We can live boldly and freely in this wonder for blessed are we. Even with our burdens and despairs, blessed are we. Even through trials and persecution, blessed are we. Even though we may not have a loud voice, blessed are we. Even though war and torture will continue to rage, blessed are we. Because God is with us and for us and ahead of us and pulling us into a better future. A better realm is coming. A realm in which we are all children of God. A realm in which you have always been but may have forgotten or not been told. You are invited. Even if you don't feel it. No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven.